Good morning. You may be seated. Ah, oh, what an exciting uh, time that we live in. We live in a time where really the gospel can go forth even more so because the days are getting a little more interesting, a little more broken. But guys, during this time of brokenness is the time that we can cling to the gospel even more because that is the hope for lost and dying men. Because, you know, this, this Christ that we follow is not just some pie-in-the-sky dream. He is faithful and trustworthy and true. We've been talking about, in this month of missions, we've been talking about how the word is important, how prayer is important, how baptism is a picture of the gospel. And so today my task is to show you how the Lord's table is, is, is really a gospel proclamation as well. The Lord's Supper is a, pro, uh, is a proclamation of the gospel. So I guess you can title this message, The Table, The Lord's Table is, is for Missions. It's so the gospel goes forth and that men would look to Christ and live. We're going to be in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 17 on through about 29. So let's stand, if you're able, to uh, let's read the Word of God together. Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also uh, be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone takes before another his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What, ha have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not, for I received the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and, say, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, or this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This is the cup in the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you uh, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the bo uh, body and blood of the Lord. But let him examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eat, eateth and drinketh unworthily Eat and drink of damnation to himself, discerning not the Lord's body. Oh, Father, will you please bless the reading of your word? And now, Lord God, will you bless the, preach bless the preaching of your word, that Christ would be exalted, your name would be praised, honored, and adored. Father, that today, Lord God, we would see, we would see your grace, Father. We would see your mercies. We would see the gospel unfolding. Would you have your way in us today? In Jesus' name, amen. 
You may be seated. You know, in a world that is as broken as ours, we see a lot of things going on. We see, uh, really, we see heresies arising absolutely everywhere. We see, we see things that should never be being, being worshipped as good. Evils are now called good, and good is now called evil. And so we have to understand that we, we have a, a real gospel with a real Christ who was really killed, who really died, who really was buried, and who was really raised to dead, uh, from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we can look to what Christ has done, and no better way to do that than through the Lord's Supper. And so uh, Paul wrote these verses for the purpose of showing this beloved church their sin and how they approach the Lord's table in fellowshipping with the saints. Today you will see that the church is to be holy, healthy. And the Lord's Supper, the table of the Lord, is a gospel proclamation that must be approached with reverence and not flippancy. So our first truth today is the church must be holy, healthy. And I'm, I'm, I'm spelling it W-H-O-L-L-Y. Okay? Holy, healthy. I think that's right. Isn't that how you spell it? Well, if not, don't worry about it. You got to spell it the way you want. Okay, so the church must be healthy. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen says, Now in this I declare to you, unto you, I praise you not, that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Now, this word now is here, because he's now going to give them something else. He's now going to point their attention to something new. Something that he hasn't done before in this fashion. Because, you know, Paul is writing and declaring that, that we think this word now is it's just almost a natural progression, but now. So we have to really worry about what came before. When we were reading our scripture verse today uh, for our reading in Matthew, real interesting, it's given us the genealogy. Why? It's because Jesus died in a real history, in a real context, with real people. And God uses that lineage in in the scriptures to show us the bible is true and so what we want to do is stay in the scriptures here we want to stay in the context of the scriptures here so this verse is actually contingent upon all the verses that have come before in this book first corinthians 1 9 says god is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of jesus uh, of his son jesus christ our lord paul is constantly pointing us to, to, to God who is always faithful. 2 Timothy uh, 2.15, I believe it's 2.15 if I'm wrong, forgive me. It, you know, when we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot disown himself or he cannot, he cannot not, he can only be faithful because he is a faithful God. And so Paul is constantly pointing to God's faithfulness, bringing us, uh, bringing us to give attention to or more careful consideration to the one who is true, this living hope, this one who actually has made it possible for us to fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In this whole book, Paul is addressing many issues. He's, he's addressing divisiveness within. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that 
they may be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. So Paul beseeches, he begs, he pleads with these people of the Corinthian church, with these Corinthians. He's invoking the name of Jesus. For all the saints should be speaking the same thing, the same truth. No divisions would be among them, fully joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment, in the mind that really is in Christ. So what would that look like? It would look like not going against the scriptures. It's what it would look like. And so he's addressing this division within, but he also is addressing the opposition from without. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are being saved it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness to lost and dying men. But to us who believe it is the power of God and salvation. Guys, you know what a fool is? A fool is one who says in his heart that there is no God. And so, and they're calling us foolish. I mean, what takes greater faith? The fact that God exists or that we somehow came from non-life. That we somehow evolved. That somehow, by some great miracle, chaos produced order. I think I'd rather rely on the one who is trustworthy and true and is the intelligent designer. So let's look to him. So this proof of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But he also addresses sexual immorality or the allowance of it with no correction. In uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, such fornication as is not named, as much named among the Gentile that one should have his father's wife. This one man was sleeping with his stepmama. This is bad mojo. Not good. And so this sexual sin is bad, and the church should not be involved in it. And if it happens, it should be immediately addressed. And immediately corrected, immediately disciplined, because it is a grievous sin to the body of Christ. And so, until Paul addressed it in writing, this sin went unaddressed. May God help us if we allow our sin to be unaddressed. That's why I love being a part of this church. I'm held, I'm held to a level of accountability not because I am a pastor, but because I belong to Christ Jesus and you belong to me, I belong to you. We should be challenging one another to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 5.12, it's real interesting. It says, "For I, I, what have I to do to judge them, that are all, uh, them also that are without? Do, ye, uh, do not judge them that are within, but them that are without God judges. Therefore put away from among you yourselves the wicked person. He's saying, listen, my job is not to correct the unbelieving world. My job is to make the church holy and healthy. My job is to make the church a, a picture of Christ. I know, I know I'm, I'm not in our text and that's fine and dandy. Because I believe the gospel is so important. We must set the stage. God is going is to be the one that judges outside. And by the grace of God, God saves people when his church is holy and healthy. 
resting in Christ, in Christ alone, and not getting caught up in living in their sin. So we are called to discipline. We are called to discipline the church so the church would be refined and refining. So praise, you know, Paul praises the fact that these brothers, these fellow saints, have listened in regards to many of the ordinances he had given them. But this is what he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. It says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Oh, wow. Did you guys catch that? Follow me like I follow Christ. Follow me because I, I belong to Christ. Follow me, not because I have it all together, but because Christ, who has it all together, is the one who holds me faithful. So we, we, we have this amazing truth. We are called to be imitators of Christ, and then we're called to have others imitate Christ as well. Others to live in a manner worthy of Christ, having a conversation worthy of Christ. You know, like the moon that reflects the sun, we should also be reflecting the sun, S-O-N. We need to reflect in Jesus. Even when you think of the word Christian, it is little Christ. You know, that's how people knew they belonged to Christ is because they walked like Christ and talked like Christ and lived like Christ. Not perfectly, I understand, because we are a fallen people. But if we are in Christ, we have been brought back by the, uh, by the unfallen God, the gracious and merciful God. 1 Corinthians uh, eleven two says, I praise you that you remember all me in all these things and keep the ordinances I delivered to you. Paul has commanded them that they keep the ordinances, keep what he has, command, he has commanded them to do. They are being faithful. And then it talks about, um, you know, how, how they should worship it, heads covered. We're not getting caught up in all that. But... Guys, scripture is clear that this is an ordinance. And in verse 16, this is what it says. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. 16. But if any man seemeth to be contention, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. What he's saying is, I've told you truth and it's true. And if anyone's going to keep on arguing, that is not becoming of the saints. And it's not what the church has been called to do. Guys, when, when people in the church are constantly being contentious against the truth of Scripture, they may not be true people of the church. They may not be true followers of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that there can't be discussions. What I'm saying is to argue for argument's sake is not becoming. So if any man is contentious, argumentative, combative, constantly causes strife, arguments that mire the church in needless discussion that never ends, Paul strongly admonishes the church and calls it not to be contentious. So the church is not, is not called to be constantly in a state of argument and battling over things that do not matter. We need to battle for truth. In our world today, we're about to possibly strike down Roe versus Wade, and it moves that decision to the state level. Standing for life is godly. Standing for the total obliteration of abortion is godly. We need no more to cater to our broken world, but stand on God's truth. Let God be true and every man a liar, Romans 3, 4. And so 
the church. You know, what I love here is the immediate context is about men having the head covered and women uh, not having the uh, head uncovered because God's, man's glory is God and woman, uh, God, a man's uh, glory is, 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 a woman's glory is man because God has a specific order. And you can read that when you get a chance. This is not some misogynistic view. Not a, I'm not a, a woman hater. I, I'm actually married to a woman. I love her. She has been a gift to my life, and I probably wouldn't be here if she didn't call for prayer. And so, it's not about woman hating. I don't hate women. Women are cool. I like them. They are a part of the body of Christ. Amen. And listen, I love, I love having conversations with godly women because they point me to Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 1.17, it goes on and it says this. Now in this I declare it unto you, and I praise you not, that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. He goes, when you're coming together, you're coming, and you're worse off for coming together. Where you're supposed to be coming to fellowship with God, fellowship with his church, you are coming with your own selfish, self-centered desires. How do I know? Look at verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. He goes, when you come, you are separated by division. You're separated into sects. You're separated into, I belong to this one, and I belong to this one, and I belong to this one. Hush up. Hush up. Guys, division is not glorifying to God. It is not glorifying to God. Leaving the church because you don't like the pastor is not God glorifying. Now, leaving the church because the pastor is speaking blasphemy and heresy. Amen. Leave and I'll help you pack your bags. But we have to understand that the church, when they come together, is not supposed to be a divisive church. There are sects. There are separations among the church. This beloved church that Paul loved and cared for and planted. He loves this church. He loves this church. And by the way, little addendum, the church of Corinth actually repents. And we see that in uh, 2 Corinthians. It actually turns from much of their sin that they were committing. Why? Because Paul, Paul has been the one to love them with the gospel and lead them in the gospel. This is what happens when a church walks together in Christian love. Yes, we're all a wee bit messy. Some more than others, I admit. But so these sex, these separations, you know, here's what happens. Division is schism. It is a, a, an alienation. I love what uh, John Calvin says about this. is alienation of affection. As when anyone withdrew from the church for envy or from dislike of the pastors or from ill nature. Okay? Division does happen. People do separate for just sinfulness. Okay? But 1 Corinthians 1, 19, I mean, 1 Corinthians 11, 19 goes on and says, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So Paul told them rightly that there must be heresies, there must be factions, there must be false teaching, there must be wrong teaching. 
That way, the church of God will stand up and be counted faithful. Guys, when, when Martin Luther started hitting those nails in the doors of Wittenberg, Wittenberg, I'm not a linguist, but when he started nailing that, why did he do it? So that he could cause a people in the church? Absolutely not. He was wanting to reform the church. He wasn't trying to start a new denomination. He was trying to bring them back to God. To reform them in their practice and their beliefs. And stop turning to lies. Heresy, you know, so isn't that a little awkward? Heresies must arise among you. Factions must come up among you. So heresy, this disagreement is as per doctrine, not as per personality. It's about right teaching. And anyone who teaches against right teaching is called a heretic. I can name you a few, but for the sake of time, I'll name one. Andy Stanley says, we no longer need to say, thus saith the Lord. We need to unhitch from the Old Testament. May God have mercy on that man's soul and call him to repent. Because that is ungodly. The only reason why we know of Jesus at all is because of what scripture has said from the, from the before Revelation. That Moses wrote the first five books about 1500 years before Revelation. God had a plan and a purpose. And that plan and purpose is completed in Christ. How do we you know, unhitch from the Old Testament? You'd have to get rid of much biblical truth. I mean, anyone notice how that passage in Matthew begins? It begins from the genealogy in the Old Testament. Oh, wait, we can just scratch that out, right? Who needs Matthew 1? Because that's all genealogy from the Old Testament. So that man needs to repent. He needs to repent. Now, what does this have to do with Lord's Supper? Hold on, pay attention for a little while longer. So heresy arises so that the faithful would stand up and be manifested and seen among the church, both at the Paul's time in that specific context and in ours. We are called to stand in the gap. We are called to speak truth, even in the midst of a world that only wants to believe lies. Heresy arises. I love Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says this. Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We need to pay more careful attention to what God's word says, to what we've heard that God's word says. Unless we slip away, drift away, move away from our moorings, get dashed upon the rocks or lost at sea, we are called to Cling to truth. Why must we be careful and heed the things we've heard? We do not want to let them slip. We do not want to drift away. So if we do not pay attention, we may become unmoored from biblical truth. Guys, look around in our world today. We have Olsteins and Franklins and, and Myers and heretics and heretics and heretics telling us what scripture says when it really doesn't say what they say it says. This is bad, but we need to clean the truth. Okay, so let's move on to what this sermon is about. Okay, look at, uh, we're going to be at 1120, 1 Corinthians 1120. The Lord's Supper is a 
gospel presentation or gospel proclamation. It preaches the gospel. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty says, When ye come together, therefore in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He, he, now he's, he's going right for the juggler. When you come together for this fellowship, for this Lord's Supper, you're not really coming for the fellowship and Lord's Supper. You're coming for different reasons. Okay? They were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy fashion. They were not really celebrating the fellowship that they have with Christ, but selfishly acting in sinful separation and not caring for the greater body of Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one, For in eating, everyone taketh before his brother, uh, for, before another, his own supper. And one is hungry, and the other one's drunken. So, so in eating, they all go in selfishly, and they take the food, and then they get drunk. So there, some go hungry, and some are drunk with wine. They have, they have gone overboard. They've eaten their fill, and they did not care for the body of Christ. Everyone was after their own thing. They did what was right in their own eyes. And he's trying to align the hearts of the Corinthians. By the way, he should be, this should be aligning the hearts of the saints today. One is hungry because another has eaten their fill and become drunk. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one says, What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Listen to him. I praise you not. Absolutely not. You want my praise? Then repent. You want my praise? Stop being selfish and stupid. I'm sorry. British. Guys, they are so caught up in their own thing. He gets real strong because Christ is being dishonored. The gospel is being trampled. They have, they have these insatiable appetites and would rather eat their fill without caring for those who have nothing. He asked them, he asked them if they despise. Listen, a great question. He asked them, do you really despise the church? Do you despise the church of God? Do you hate the church of God that much that you would not want to fellowship rightly with your brothers and sisters in Christ? How much do you have to hate the church to not want to fellowship with like-minded brothers in the right ways? Do they hate the church? Well, in Paul's estimation, that's how they're living. That's how they're acting. And why would they want to shame the needy, shame the poor, those who do not have, who come because the church really is to be a, a help and a provider and just someone to meet some needs, and it's okay to do so. But we, we must not do so apart from the gospel. It must be entrenched in the gospel. So then he asked this question, what should I have said to you? What should I say? You know, should I give you praise for you being selfish, self-centered, and self-pleasing? And he goes, no, I praise you not. Paul does not cater. He does not mince words. Shh. Guys, it's almost like, just stop it, really. That's enough. Paul refused to cater and praise sinfulness. By the way, guys, this is a gospel issue. 
This is a gospel issue. Paul sets forth truth that came from Jesus himself now. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So he's telling us what Jesus did. Jesus gave this to him. This is what he's saying, right? And he, he tells them that Jesus himself, who actually initiated the Lord's Supper. By the way, let's talk about initiation for a quick moment. In the garden, Jesus initiated creation. In the garden, after the fall, initiated the conversation and the promise to, 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 to have this Messiah come. Okay? And so when you think about it that way, God is always the initiator. He's always the one that initiates with man. How do I know? If we want to be redeemed, we must be regenerated. We must be brought back to life in the heart so we repent and believe the gospel. So this that he has received from God God had commanded him this ordinance, the Lord's Supper, that had previously been delivered to them. So Jesus, that same night, he takes bread, and he, he initiated this ordinance as he takes the bread, and he, he gives thanks. He prays. And then he breaks and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He gave thanks. He broke this bread and he just asked them to eat, to partake of it. This bread represents Jesus Christ and how his body was broken for wicked sinners. So wicked sinners can be declared righteous by a holy God. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. He was wounded for your sins. He was wounded for my sin. He was bruised for your sin. Your punishment was given to him instead. And by his whippings, we are healed. So the innocent one becomes guilty and the guilty ones become innocent. Paul Washer says that's a scandal. Praise God for the scandalous gospel because God does a mighty work. His punishment saves. He was beaten and bruised, broken for you and I. And he then commanded uh, them to do this. Why? Listen, he does so so that we would remember. Remember what? Remember the gospel. Remember that his body was broken for us on our behalf. Jesus wanted the disciples, Jesus wanted the Corinthians, and Jesus wanted us, his saints, to remember and celebrate that broken body, which was broken on account of men being redeemed. It's a gospel call. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says, After the saved manna, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he takes the cup and he prays for the cup. He takes the cup and he prays for the cup. And he says it's a new covenant, a new testament. He, and, and this is brilliant. And this new testament is to cover sin. We have forgiveness through the shed blood of Christ. That's 
where our forgiveness comes from when we repent and believe the gospel. We are to remember this sacrifice and share and drink it of this cup. And as often as we eat it and drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup, in verse 26, it says, do, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Listen, it is a gospel proclamation. We take the Lord's Supper to proclaim the gospel so that every time we have the Lord's Supper in this place, outside this place, out in the open here, we hear the gospel every single time. Not only do we hear the gospel every single time, it is a, a mission's call that those who do not know Jesus would repent and believe the gospel, would turn from sin and trust in him. This is a gospel call. He comes, you know, I love what it says. How do I know that this is a gospel call? Listen, look back at 26. You show the Lord's death until what? Say it until he comes. He is coming back. He is coming back. And he is not going to be happy the second time around. First time he came in humble humility, lowly and riding on a donkey. But the next time he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. And it's not going to go well. Let us preach the gospel so that men would know Jesus would repent of their sin and look to Christ. And so I, I love uh, baptism is amazing because we see this picture of baptism where we are dead to sin, we're buried with him, we're raised again to new life, to walk in him. Well, I believe that the Lord's Supper does the same thing. It preaches the gospel. Because you know what? A Savior that's coming back again is still alive. That's kind of cool, actually. So it's, it's this picture. The Lord's Supper is a picture of his body broken, his blood shed. Jesus died for sin, punished by the Father. Uh, uh, Isaiah 53, uh, 10 says, listen, and I'm going to say this slow. For those of you that say I'm too fast. <laughs> Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased God to kill his son. It pleased God to slay his son. It pleased God to put his son to grief so that he would taste death for every man that repents and believes the gospel. And so... He, the captain of our salvation, Hebrews tells us in chapter 2, I think it's verse 9 and, and 10, captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. He suffered and died, so we would not have to. He is the one that took that penalty. God will see his seed, prolong his days, the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands, the sacrifice of the Son who willingly took our place, and that plan was written before the foundation of the world. Guys, the gospel is not from, from, from the time that Jesus came. The gospel began from eternity past, before one rock, one tree was created. The gospel had been set forth because God was going to redeem a lost and dying world through the death of his son. Pre-planned event. And so 
This is kind of awesome and, 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 and amazing. You know what it says in 53.11? It says, And the Lord shall look on the suffering or the travail of his soul. And listen, will be satisfied. Payment for sin paid in full. That's why Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God is because it's done. It's done. Teletelestai, I think it's called. Teletelestai, I'm sorry. It is finished. It's amazing. All right, so what does this have to do? Let's keep on going a little further. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 28, uh, 7. It says, Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he tells us to take the Lord's Supper with the right motive, with the right heart, with the right intentions. Because, guys, the Lord's Supper is not about you. It's about him. Why do you think when we talk about the Lord's Supper here at Everglades, we wait several weeks before we do it? You know why? Because we want to give you opportunity to repent and to examine and to test yourself. So this reason, this, this cup, if it's taken in the wrong way, in the wrong motive, it's not a good thing. And maybe we could say, like Paul said to them, when you come together for the Lord's Supper, you're really not coming together for the Lord's Supper. You come together for your own selfish, self-centered gains. The Lord's Supper is a serious ordinance that is commanded, not so you can have your salvation, but so that you can walk in obedience. Guys, baptism cannot save us. It's an outward expression of an inner devotion. The Lord's Supper cannot save us. It is a fellowship that we have with Him, not to earn favor, but to walk in obedience to his word. So the Lord's Supper is not something magical. It's not, it, 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 this bread and cup does not become the physical body and blood of Christ, but it is to be, it, it is meant to bring us to remembrance. Isn't that what the text says? Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Therefore, we're called to examine ourselves. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We are called to be a church, a people that is constantly and continually examining ourselves before God. Why do you think the psalmist says, examine me, prove me? Vindicate me, fight for me, contend for me in the Psalms. It's amazing. So we are to examine ourselves so that we do not dishonor the bread and the cup when we take it unworthily. The Lord's Supper, really, in a way, and I, I love this term. I learned it from uh, Pastor Doug and Pastor Eric and some other men that I've listened to. The Lord's Supper is really formative discipline. It's discipline before we have to discipline you. Guys, the word of God should discipline you. The church shouldn't have to. But because we don't listen to the word of God, the church is called to discipline and call saints to stand and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So it's formative discipline. It means that God uses or causes us to look uh, to what we claim and examine it before him and make sure that we're walking in keeping with God's word. 1 John 1, 6. Thank you for reading that, Pastor Eric. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, listen, we lie and do not 
the truth. If we say we belong to God and walk in sin, we are liars. Guys, use First John as, a, as, as uh, the indicator lights on your dashboard. If your life is not really mirroring First John, the questions that are asked, you might want to check to see whether you belong to Christ at all. 1 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself, whether you be of the, in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you. And listen to what it says next. Except ye be reprobates. All that means is, except you be unrepented sinners, or you failed the test. Because Christ is the object of our worship. 1 Corinthians 11.29, and he who eats and drinks unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the, uh, the Lord's body. Guys, if we can sit and remain in sin, knowing that God hates it, then we are dishonoring the sacrifice that Christ has done. This is why we constantly examine ourselves. Whoever eats and drinks with the wrong motives and the wrong heart eats and drinks damnation to himself because he's not discerning or, you know, he's not discerning of the Lord's body. He's not being discerning. And so they're not respecting what the bread represents and what the cup represents, and they're not honoring Christ. The Lord's Supper, this gospel proclamation for those who believe, it's a time of remembrance to those who do not. It's a time of heart examination to see that Christ is true and then repent and believe. To those caught up in sin, it's a time of self-reflection. And to those who are lost, it is a gospel message of salvation that comes in and through Christ. Anytime the Lord's Supper is administrated, uh, administered biblically within the church, it produces missions. Because a healthy church produces healthy missions. A healthy church produces a gospel call to go and share the gospel with any man, woman, and child we meet. It's a gospel call. Inviting people to see the gospel new. People examining themselves. And it drives believers to repentance. Compelled by the gospel to remember. And sinners may see the sacrifice that came in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. May see it and divert from sin and trust Christ through repentance and faith. The Lord's table, the Lord's supper is a gospel call. It's a gospel call. And when I think of the Lord's Supper, guys, I've seen churches so much minimize the, the Lord's Supper. And let's just serve it. No warnings, no problem. But listen, guys, let's be really careful to give the full account of God's word. We should never come to that table in an unworthy fashion. Guys, as we continue in worship and song, may God bring conviction to our hearts. And if there's sin in your life that must be repented of, then let me give you some helpful advice. This is really hard, I know. Uh, and, and it's a word that you probably never heard before. Repent. Repent. Father, will you bless the reading of your word? Father, the, uh, the two preaching of your word. And now as we continue and we sing, may Christ be exalted, your name be praised. In Jesus' name, amen.